The global sex industry has been badly hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. In Amsterdam, the Netherlands, home of the popular red light district, where commercial sex work has been legal for 20 years, sex work has been suspended. And although the government has provided emergency support packages, many sex workers are unable to gain access to the much-needed help. In Germany, the Federal Association of Sex Services, the BSD, has written the country's lawmakers on safety measures as the country gradually reopens. They have recommended the limit on the number of sex workers in brothels and have also suggested that sex workers would have to wear face masks and that rooms be regularly disinfected. As a palliative measure, the BSD set up support funds and the state has offered up to 9,000 euros in grants. The situation is vastly different in Nigeria where sex workers are some of the most vulnerable members of society, often maligned and abused by the police and customers and with no available governmental support, the pandemic has been particularly brutal on them. It has caused a sharp drop in clientele which has punished both their pockets and safety. Will commercial sex work be legalized or decriminalized in Nigeria and has the pandemic forever changed the industry? Hello and welcome to NOW, our podcast which examines the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on all aspects of our lives. I am Tomi Ulubemi. Sandra is a Lagos-based commercial sex worker and an aspiring caterer. She talks about how the pandemic has impacted her business. Because of the coronavirus, nothing, day, no money. Everybody will come with the complaint, no business, now it's very strong. Before I see, I feel, see like 10 people where Corona never did, but now I feel, see five, six or four people in a day. Big Slim is the owner of Silver Fox Gentlemen's Club. He says the cost implications of the pandemic have been astronomical. As an industry, um, we have lost in the past 12 weeks well over, uh, let me say, 5 billionaire plus. You know, some clubs alone have lost four, 500 million in the past 12 weeks. Lola Cynthia is a sexual and reproductive health educator and activist. She tells me the best way in ensuring that commercial sex workers navigate the pandemic. And the way we can help them is by giving them opportunities where they do not need to engage in um, sexual activities to get money. Because if there, there are no other opportunities for them to generate funds, they have no choice than to engage in their business. Sandra is a Lagos-based sex worker, an aspiring caterer, and a mother of one. She spoke with Bumi Yekini on her experience as a sex worker in the global pandemic. Because of the coronavirus, nothing, day, no money. Everybody will come with a complaint, no business, now it's very strong. Before I see, I feel, see like 10 people where Corona never did, but now I feel, see five, six or four people in a day. Strip clubs, or as they are often referred to these days, gentlemen's clubs, have also been impacted by the pandemic. Social distancing rules has meant that both patrons and exotic dancers can no longer congregate. And although on-demand online shows have somewhat mitigated the effects, the financial implications are still huge. 
Big Slim is the owner of the popular Victoria Island strip club, Silver Fox. He told me how much the strip club has suffered in the past three months. We have lost in the past 12 weeks well over, uh, let me say, five billionaire plus. You know, some clubs alone have lost four or five hundred million in the past 12 weeks. So that kind of gives you an idea. Some of your high-end clubs uh, have lost excess of hundreds of millions in the past three months. So it's been pretty rough. So how has this impacted your dancers? How have they been coping? Um, it's tough for everyone. Um, those, those dancers that have, those exotic dancers that have invested are okay. I mean, they're just, they're just waiting for us to open up. And those that, that, you know, never imagined anything like this, always blowing money like everyone else, we're having a tough time. So when you have some that are doing online platforms and you have some that are um, just basically at home waiting to open. So um, just like you, myself, your colleagues, we just have to uh, maintain and just do the best that we can do. What is your forecast of the um, gentleman's club industry post-COVID-19? Um, I have close to 28 years of experience in this business, so I already know exactly what I want to do forward. Um, once we have um, been allowed by the government to re, re back open. So it's just to make a few changes and to really make a more of the U.S. concept where um, they may not be doing as many lap dances anymore, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one lap dances or, or contact lap dances. We may result to the more of a distance type of um, table dances that we that we do in the U.S. So, yeah, we, 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 we have a plan that's going to be safe for our staff and it's going to be safe for the consumer. So, you know, they won't, we won't miss a beat. There just won't be uh, that really, really intimate type dances for now until, until there's a vaccine or until there's another solution that eradicates COVID-19. Then we get back to business as usual, you know? Um, as you know, we live in a society where exotic dancing um, is sort of frowned upon by certain segments of our community. Um, how do you handle the criticism? You know, in, in, in the U.S., let me tell you, um, gentlemen's club or strip clubs, something that's been around for 50, 60 years plus, and it's something that is a part of the hip-hop culture, is a part of, it's a part of the culture. So when I came to Lagos, you know, I decided, yes, there were a few gentlemen's clubs at the time, but the standard wasn't really up to what uh, I wanted to be a part of. So uh, when we opened to our folks, I was told by a lot of people, no, it, it would not work on the islands, you know, because um, exactly what you said, it's frowned upon. People like to do a lot of things that are hidden, you know, but um, I just felt Lagos being the mega city that it it is, is 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 dying and is and, and, and needs a quality gentlemen's clubs that everybody can be proud of or that when you have your big superstars uh, from overseas that want to come to Nigeria to do concerts or to do uh, meet and greet, where's the first place that they ask to want to be taken to? A strip club. Um, when 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 Cardi B came to Nigeria, the first thing that she said she wanted to go to was a strip club. And imagine that, imagine if we didn't have a classy or a standard strip club when she came. But we did. So she came to SF. She came to Silver Fox. So 
Um, I think with time that that notion is being broken. Speaking of Cardi B, um, what was the Cardi B experience like? It was a great experience. I mean, it brought a lot of international exposure, not only to Silver Fox, but to Lagos as a whole. You know, I'm sure um, after she talked about Lagos so much, like her second home, that a lot of people really started to say, well, you know, where is that lady? Let me Google it. Let me go there. You know, let me go to that club. So um, when you have uh, international superstars like that, one of the biggest stars of the world, speaking highly of the club, your city, it's a great feeling. And it, 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 it makes it all worthwhile. So It is, however, not all gloom and doom for the sex industry. The business of self-pleasure might have been spared from the worst. CC is the digital strategist for Abuja-based sex shop Mahogany. She tells me the panic purchase of goods was extended to her business. Shortly before the lockdown, there was uh, a panic buy of most, you know, household items, groceries, and you know things like that. I think that um, panic kind of spilled over to you know sex toys and sexual health products because. You know, some people were living, were going to be locked down and um, estranged from their families or their partners. So that's kind of like uh, shut up the request and the demand for toys before and uh, about a few weeks into the lockdown. Yeah. So yeah, in a way, kind of, it was a good, I don't know, it was a good period for the industry, I guess. Okay, uh, so you said um, that there was like a panic buy right before the lockdown, yes? So now that things are slowly going back to, norm, um, to normal, could you give us in like monetary terms, if like how, how is business doing? 40% increase in sales during the lockdown. And I guess as the panic is washing off and people are beginning to feel, you know, more grounded and, you know, the old here, the word coming to an end is diminished. Uh, it's kind of, uh, I guess, balanced the uh, books and sales, I guess, to what it used to be. So, in a sense, the pandemic has been good for business. It was great for business. And the lockdown was perfect because, you know, we still had deliveries, uh, delivery companies working in town. Just, you know, it meant that you had to sell in your state. I guess that's the same for people outside of Abuja too. So, you know, it meant that you were limited to your your state, but, you know, you were still, so still great, yeah. Um, so um, what's your forecast um, for the industry going forward after the pandemic? Do you think um, this um, upshoot in sales is, is, going to be, is going to be sustainable? Well, you know, with, most, with the uh, trend, I would say it's trendy right now to own, you know, an adult store business. So, um, in a way, because of that, they're like new entrants to the market. So they're like new uh, small businesses, vendors, resellers, dropshippers. So yeah, in general, the industry is growing bigger. But I'm, I'm, I don't know about, you know, par brand. You know, there are brands, smaller brands, and bigger brands and stuff. You know, everywhere. So. In in general, the industry would get better. There will be more toys. There would always be a demand for toys. There will always be a demand for sex and answers and things that make your sex life better. So, uh, yeah, the industry will be fine. 
Bisoye Ogundimi is the manager of internet-based sex shop Closet Whispers. I asked her if her shop has experienced a similar surge in sales. For me, the numbers didn't quite do much. I don't think, for my business, I didn't see a surge as was depicted. Maybe I personally, maybe my business didn't experience that, but no, nah, it wasn't like a surge for me. It was just regular. Um, people are just beginning to get into this sex toy thingies. I've been asked that kind of question, like there was a surge because I heard somebody made 7 million naira or something. I can't remember, but it was African. And then people started to ask me, are the closer we was No, no, for me, it wasn't like that. It was normal. It was, if I was having 20 sales a month, I still had max, you know, maybe 25 sales. It wasn't like it was exponential. Like, like, no, it wasn't, it was regular for me. So what products exactly are people buying? For men, they have bought the um, anal vibrating plug. And for women, we've bought the um, the bullets and the, it's called pussy liquor, actually. It's called, um, it's a tongue toy that gives you oral sex. Nothing penetrative for the most part. I think they just like the fact that you could, they can get off just flicking their bean. The pandemic has also impacted the ability of human rights groups to advocate for the health and safety of commercial sex workers. Margaret Honor is the executive director of Safe Haven International, an advocacy group for girls and women, and especially commercial sex workers. She told Juliet Obata that the restriction of movement has been tough on advocacy. As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, it has really not been easy at all for our work to move forward. We have not been able to move around because of the shutdown. Uh, our campaigns are mostly in cross-river states, so we have not been able to travel at all. And even our office in cross-river has not been very, very effective as a result of the shutdown as well. Sorry. So have you spoken to any sex worker recently? How are they coping, their future plans and all? Yeah, yeah. the fact that we are, are that we shut down the zombie is not been communicating. We, the sex workers have had issues to like everybody. You know, they are at work, they cannot move because of the shutdown. Uh, social distancing, they cannot go meeting a client as they used to do anymore. So they can't even pay their rent, they don't have money for food. I know the government is not giving palliatives to them. They don't, they are not recognized to be giving palliatives. So there's had so many issues. Some of them that are HIV positive, even accepting their treatment has been a challenge for us as well. One of the, those we spoke with told us that there has been a, uh, you know, a, a lull in business, like their revenue has, has decreased because of the pandemic. Yes, exactly. You know, because of the pandemic now, you know everybody is sitting at home. So they cannot come on the streets to say they want to... People are not going to meet them. They are not going to meet anybody. So they're not having customers. That's, their, that's why they don't have money to eat. They don't have money to pay their, their hotel accommodation. A lot of them, they even have to throw their things out of their accommodation. And they came, you know, calling us that if you come and help to bail them out. I know you say it's been difficult for you to do anything for them. I, I hear you. But in any way... It's really in the area of enlightenment and sensitization. Have you tried anything to, you know, in any way to reach out to them? 
private sector can't step in to assist these uh, commercial sex workers and also help you in your work sex, yeah you know sex work is illegal in Nigeria and when you go talking to people that sex workers are here they need to help them you know people the, the way the society frowns at the sex worker they don't want to see that there's anything they don't want to commit themselves to be involved to help that's one of the biggest challenges that we have that some of these sex workers because they want to do the work. They are in because of the conditions of things around them. And if they have a way to have an alternative means of livelihood, a lot of them want to leave it and learn a trade. But it has not really been easy. All the fundings we get doing our work is from outside. Internally, people have not been supporting at all. Because once you say that you're working with sex workers, they're like, ah, no, 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 they cannot put their money there. So what do we do? This is a, it's a very tough one. Yeah, it is. A lot of people don't want to put their money into because they some of them say, and eh, when they try to help them, they will run away, they will go to some other places. But you see, these people they are human beings. And you know because they are being stigmatized, they are they, they don't want to like uh, uh, don't trust anybody wanting to help them, let me put it that way. You know. But really now the organizations working with them, we try to make them feel that wherever they are being stigmatized, they should come back, there's a home for them, let them come to us. But the people now, we are talking to people, philanthropists, help these women. They are ready. Some of them really want to do this work. They want to have their, their, an alternative trade. They are ready to put money for them to learn a skill. The people like ah, sex workers, they don't want to put their money down. So what do we do now? Lola Cynthia is a sexual and reproductive health educator and activist. She is a media influencer for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and founder of the popular social enterprise Lolo Talks. She tells me that the impact of the pandemic on Nigeria's commercial sex workers peaked at the start of the pandemic. Um, when it started, when it was at its peak and everyone in the country was you know, going crazy and there was a lot of pandemium, pandemonium, so many of the sex workers were worried as well because you know their work is literally physical and they have to be lots of contacts for them to have their work. So that was something that really affected their source of income. I knew a lot of women had to go back to their villages. You know, some women, some sex workers leave their village to Lagos State to get work. Some of them had to return because there is no money. And if you're a sex worker who lives in a brutal, you pay daily. So maybe 5000 or 3000 depending on where you stay, because of they're unable to afford their daily rates, many of them suffered. But on the other side, um, some of the women continue to work, continue to put themselves in danger because, I mean, they, they have to survive, they have to eat. So that was something that created a, a lot of fear for the women because they felt like they had no choice than to engage. So it's been really, really um, interesting to see. However, outside of just Nigeria, 
What I see with other sex workers is that during COVID, it created an opportunity for them to go online. So we have other platforms, OnlyFans and porn and things like that. So we um, sex workers have taken technology to showcase their skills and to um, market themselves for their work. But here in Nigeria, because again, we are not as technological savvy as the people in the West, and many of our sex workers are still women from very low economic background who are just hustling and running around for daily bread because it's hand to mouth every day. It was a very difficult situation. Yeah. You said that um, some of them are um, currently putting um, their health at risk because really it's, it's it's difficult for them to work at this time. So what would yeah. you say um, as a... I mean, I, I know it's um, sort of illegal in Nigeria and stuff, but what would you say as a we could do to protect them better? Like how... how um, from COVID or in general? No, in general. So their health and safety, and especially now where um, there's COVID, um, how can we... Is there a balance, you know? Um, yeah. Honestly, the truth is there is no balance. In South Africa, um, the sex workers are fighting for grants. So they are fighting for stipends the way they give other business owners. They are also fighting for stipends to be given to them, stipulous checks that can allow them to be able to still take care of their family. But in our country where it's still highly criminalized, um, and our society is very conservative, and even the government hasn't even given Stephen Jackson, you know, grant to the businessman, to the legitimate businessman here. It's going to be very difficult to bring in that conversation. And how can we help them? These women, the way we can help them is by giving them opportunities where they do not need to engage in um, sexual activities to get money. Because if there, there are no other opportunities for them to generate funds, they have no choice than to engage in their business. They have no choice than to continue what they are used to. So the one way we can help them is by providing opportunities. Maybe there's a cleaning job or something that they might take on. Maybe there's a cashier, sales girl job they might take on. But when you look at our society right now, COVID has affected more than just sex workers. You know, even um, business owners are affected by this. So it's a very delicate, um, it's a very delicate and tricky position they're in because usually if the government can support by providing certain grants that will allow livelihood grants that will allow them be able to sustain for the few months, but if they can't do that, the citizens are forced or these women are forced to continue to engage just for them to survive. One way we can protect them is by giving them opportunities. So when I go to the brutals and I'm talking to them about COVID and, you know, you're not supposed to give customer a chance now and things like that, they tell them, they tell me how would they pay because they are paying daily for where they stay. And if short time is 5000 and they pay 3000 every day, and with COVID, they're also not receiving as much customers as before, you know, because even these men are afraid, but they still have certain men who would still come to patronize their work. So it's a very delicate and, you know, tricky um, position they're in, but it's, it's, it feels like there are no um, solutions for them at this moment. Other than providing opportunities, what else is there? How far away do you think we are from legalizing sex work in Nigeria? Very, very far. The, the problem is this. Um, I would say this. When it comes to the law in our country, yes, everyone knows that it stands, but people do not really respect the law here. People are more focused on social status, social acceptance, social norms. And Nigeria is a very cultural and social country. So the law exists, but we know 
that anyone can beat the law. Anyone with power and money can beat the law. Anyone can bribe some way out of it. So we already feel there's a certain loophole. So even the sex workers, if you go to the communities, many of the people there are not even thinking about how we can, you know, um, legitimize it. They're just looking for how they can ensure that, you know, where they go to is being saved. They're still getting their money. Because whether you legalize it or not, they still have their customers. People are still going to come. There are still brochures everywhere. People that are looking for these girls know where to find them. So it's a very long way before we can legalize it because Nigeria is a very conservative, religious country and cultural country. They would not legalize anything that makes them seem or, you know, feel like they are doing something immoral. So legalizing is a very long way. However, there's another option we can go, and that's decriminalizing it. So that's ensuring that no one is put in jail because they're a sex worker. And decriminalizing it would make it easier for sex workers to be able to get um, um, medical amenities like HIV testing, STI testing. It's also going to make it easier for them to be able to report cases to the police officers because we know that even police officers are people who assault sex workers as well. So they know you're a sex worker, they arrest you, and they, they, you know, they rape you or they sexually assault you and let you go because they know you have nobody to report you. So even if we're not talking about legalizing it, can we talk about decriminalizing it yet um, so that these women have a bit of freedom to move around the world? Olukorede Yeshua is a journalist and author of the novel In the Name of Our Father. I spoke to him about the conception of one of his lead characters, Rebecca, who is an ex-prostitute married to a priest. At the time I was sexualizing the character, I wanted to show that uh, people don't just go into prostitution just for the sake of going to prostitution. There's always a backstory. People don't just wake up and decide that I want to be a prostitute, I need to look for a prostitute. Or people don't just go to Allen Avenue or any of the red streets in Lagos and begin to stand on the road and look for customers or clients as the case may be. So that is always a backstory. And for Rebecca, the character in my novel, in the name of her father, she had to go through all kinds of things that parents forcing her to marry somebody she didn't want to marry and all of that. So that's how she ended up being a prostitute. So it's a important decision. She just took for the sake of taking it. And when she had the opportunity to get out, she got out and never looked back. Sex work in Nigeria is it's illegal. And we are currently in a pandemic where the access to clients and essentially money for sex workers has been cut short. What do you think we could do to better serve sex workers? I know there are non-governmental organizations who work in that area. I believe that they can get some form of assistance from this organization. As for government and giving our society, I doubt if they will ever get any kind of support from government. Uh, the best they will get from government is government sending police after them to get them off the street or get them off whatever they do. I am sure that most of them, if they get something else they can do, they certainly will leave the trade and Start a new life. Um, so, do you think it should be decriminalized? Well, I'll look at it from this angle. Most people who do it don't do it because they necessarily love it. So, instead of saying whether it should be decriminalized or not, I would rather say that government should provide jobs for the people. I believe that if they have 
work. Some of them are university graduates. Some of them have learned one trade or the other. If they have support from government, from non-governmental organizations, certainly things will be better. Well, of course, we claim that it is criminal, but we also find that people who are law enforcement agents, we find people in, in government patronizing them. So it's just on paper that it's actually criminal. In practice, it's actually not it's not a criminal because people in government, people who are even supposed to get them off the streets are patronizing them. So in a way, it's been decriminalized. It's just that on paper, we still refer to it as uh, being criminal. Let's talk about your upcoming Vault of Secrets. Could you tell us what it's about? Uh, it's a collection of 10 short stories. And largely, the, at least three of the stories are set in prison. Largely, the stories are about freedom and bondage. Uh, they're about... Uh, choices we make as human beings and how we live with those choices. Like, for instance, one of the short stories about a woman whose husband is always not around. As a result of this, she had a traumatic bear and in the process, she was affected with HIV. She wasn't sure where she got it from and all of that. Uh, she couldn't cope with her status and she decided to end her life. And that's it. For this episode of now, I am Tommy Olubemi. 